I've just about had enough of you. I'm more than machine. A man made out of kids. I am at your disposal with 187 other languages along with their various dialects and subtongues. Dialects and subtongues. The word impossible, Mr. Booth, is only found in the Dictionary of Fools. Hello, uh, Matt and Stephen here with another episode of 50 Years of Shit Robots. Uh, <laughs> that is a fabulous quote from the movie The Black Hole, uh, as spoken by Dr. Hans Reinhardt. And if anything, I would take issue with that, because I think that the word impossible is found in all dictionaries. <laughs> Not just the Dictionary of Fools. <laughs> Not just the Dictionary of Fools. And the reason that I uh, quoted Dr. Hans Reinhardt was because today we are joined by a very special guest who's going to be chatting to us about the movie The Black Hole. There are so many robots in The Black Hole, aren't there? It's wall-to-wall robots. They're everywhere. Running amok. Now, I've got a little bit of housekeeping that I'd like to just uh, do first of all, which is uh, in a recent episode, in our Cyborg episode on The Day the Earth Stood Still, we got a bit obsessed with Gort's underpants. We did. <laughs> and I don't know why it didn't occur to me at the time, but after we'd recorded it, I wondered to myself whether the 2008 Gort wore underpants as well. And does he? He does not. <laughs> oh, is he just flat? Is he like as flat as Ken? He is Barbie's <laughs> boyfriend. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to tell because it's such a dark film, like as in the colours are so dark. Yeah. So it is slightly hard to tell, but I've had I have had a good old look. I've got my magnifying glass out, and I can't see any underpants on the 2008 Gort. So I guess pre- presumably in 2008 it wasn't deemed necessary. He was deemed to need, need no protection from uh, bottom we were to liberated to from support. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but I just thought I'd clear that up just in case anybody was was wondering about about that. Um, and why we were, why we didn't ask those questions at the time. That's all. That's all I wanted to do. Okay. Um, so it's time to introduce our guest to talk about the black hole from 1979. Today we are delighted to be joined by author, screenwriter, podcaster, all-round Renaissance robot man, Mark Stay. Welcome to Fifty Years of Shit Robots. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you so so much for joining us. I suppose there's there's a sort of like there's a biographical elephant in the room maybe which is that you <laughs> you you are I mean you're an actual well, I'm a robot. you're a robot <laughs> you're an actual screenwriter and you've written a film that is about robots yeah yeah uh, robot overlords it's, uh, it's it's about a a world where we've been invaded by robots everyone's confined to their homes so we were way ahead of the game there uh and the robots have one rule which is stay inside and if you step outside you get one warning and then you're vaporized and it's about a gang of kids who one of them's convinced his father who was a pilot fighting against the robots convinced his father is still alive so they break the curfew to go and find his dad and they uncover the whole mystery of why the robots are here and we uh john wright who's the director it was uh, he came up with the idea and we developed it together. So, uh, yeah, we had a lot of fun with it. It's got Ben Kingsley, Gillian Anderson, you know. it's yeah. um, it's uh, It's got lots of robots shooting and laser blasting and stuff like that, and we had a blast making it. And um, I, probably the greatest moment in my career, 
I was doing a, I was doing a Comic Con not too far from here, and I'm there. I've got my books laid out and a couple of DVDs as well. And this 11 year old boy walks past. He does this classic double take, and he says, "Robert Overlord, says, you wrote that?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "That's my second favorite film." I was like, "Yes." I said, "That's I said, good on the poster." I said, "I said, what's your first? He said, "Pokemon." I said, "That's fine. Pokemon when you're 11 is like a religion, so yeah. I'll take that." So yeah. Yeah. Now you've got a film that is. I saw you tweet uh, yesterday that it's, it's out in America uh, this week. I think, isn't it? What's that film? Uh, Unwelcome is uh, a monster movie. We're calling it a cross between Gremlins and Straw Dogs, and oh, it's wow. uh, it's it's about it's about a couple who have a terrible experience in London. They move to the west coast of Ireland, and the new house. There's a garden. There's a wall at the bottom of the garden. There's a hole in the wall where you leave an offering for the red caps, the far Derek, these little people who live in the woods. And they don't take it seriously at first, but they're told, look, you've got to leave an offering every day, otherwise bad things will happen. Well, guess what? Bad things happen. <laughs> Do they forget? They know. <laughs> <laughs> Chaos ensues. And um, yeah, have, it's, they, it's... have they never been to the cinema? <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's good fun. It's been interesting seeing the response to it because it, it's... Uh, the ending really goes for it. The ending is quite off the wall, and you know, I'm getting the. I love the feedback because it's like, what the, what, what, what? So what? Yeah, I'm enjoying that. It's so so yeah. It's uh, in the UK. I think by the time this comes out, it'll be available to to rent and buy on digital, and then it's getting. Uh, I think by the middle of March, whenever this goes out, it should be available all over the world to to buy or rent digitally. Brilliant! You'll be a millionaire. <laughs> oh, okay. that's, that's, you've peaked you've peaked we're just a couple of minutes into the podcast and we've peaked with the best gag <laughs> oh dear okay so i mean let's chat about the film that we're here to chat about oh yeah extraordinary film that you picked we asked you to come on this podcast mm. mark and it said you could have your pick of any of the robot films in the whole history of humanity Mm-hmm. And you picked the 1979 Disney movie, The Black Hole. Yeah, yeah. Okay. My memory of first seeing this movie was only seeing bits of it. I remember we were going out and it was on the telly. It must have been on a Christmas or something. And I was, you know, 10 years old, maybe eight, nine years old or whatever. And it was on the telly and we had to go out to a family Christmas party or something. So I got to see the beginning mm-hmm. and I was hooked. And then we went out. And it was like my uncle's house or something. So I snuck away from the party and watched it, the rest of it, while everyone was partying. So I missed all the talky bits in the middle, but I saw the intriguing bit at the beginning and all the shooty bits at the end. And of course, you know, Anthony Perkins, you know, his death scene and all of that. It was, I loved it. I've got very, very fond memories of it. Stephen, when did you when did you first see it? Did you oh, see it? You know, I went to the cinema to see it, <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it was it was the same time as Alien and Star Trek. But but the, the thing I remember about Black Hole is it didn't fit into a hole. It was like uh, a dismal, dazzling, and Disney in equal measures. It was <laughs> yeah. it wasn't your sterile white two thousand and one A Space Odyssey, but it wasn't the used future of of, uh, of Star Wars and Alien. It was it's a thing on its own. It's techno gothic. <laughs> Love it. Well, it's got I mean, a lovely, it's got a lovely sort of steampunk aesthetic to it as well, because yeah. it is essentially Captain Nemo in space. Oh, it is, yeah, yeah. You know, so that's what that's you know, uh, Doctor Hans Reinhardt is 
Captain Nemo, Nemo in, in, in all but name. Yeah. But what, what fascinated me about this is this didn't, because I think everyone assumes this is a Star Wars knockoff, but they didn't been developing this since the early 70s. It was, it was originally a towering Inferno disaster movie kind of knockoff. It was originally going to be like disaster in space. Yeah. Uh, and Which is um, probably why Ernest Borgnine ended up in it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Ernest Borgnini. Yeah. <laughs> I think because I'm a similar age to you, Mark, slightly younger. Um, I think <laughs> it's so rare that I'm the youngest person in the room these days. So I'm going to milk that for all it's worth. But I can. I think it was one of the first videos that we rented as a family. So I watched it when I was probably about eight or nine, maybe that sort of age. Same same sort of age that you were. And my abiding memory of it was being absolutely terrified by Maximilian the robot. Mm, yeah. I, I, I don't think I'd ever been more frightened of anything. There's a sort of grisly, not grisly death scene, isn't there? Mm. Um, that, <laughs> that maybe we can chat about in a bit. Yes. But I can remember that quite viscerally. And the ending was something of a surprise to me because I, I did not remember that at all. Really? Because the ending has haunted my dreams for 40 years. Unsurprisingly. Know, so. unsur mm. Maybe I was so frightened by Maximilian that I just I turned it off. <laughs> maybe I never watched the ending. Um, but we'll talk about the ending in a, in a bit. I just want to quickly, for anybody who, who hasn't seen the film, just want to quickly do a, um, a little pricey of the plot. The plot is that we've got all our heroes are in a one spaceship, the USS Palomino, and they've been on a mission in space, and they come across an apparently abandoned um, American spaceship called the Cygnus. They think it's empty. It isn't empty uh, because it's being run by a sort of um, <laughs> charismatic scientist called Dr Hans Reinhardt who one of our hero crew has already called him one of Earth's most brilliant scientists. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he has, he is on his, he's on his own in this massive spaceship that's, that they thought was abandoned, uh, and he's created, like, loads of robots. He's created a few different types of robots. He's created what he says are... They're sort of like, um, like data entry robots, aren't they? With all, they've got a mirrored face. And then there's, like, a, um, an army of soldier robots... And then there's Maximilian, who is, I mean, so frightening. If you were to, if you were to, de to design an evil robot, mm. that's sort of what you'd come up with, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just hideous. He's red, like blood red. Blood red and whirling blades for hands. I mean, what, what are they, you know, this is, this is Edward Scissorhands level of design here. It's like, why, why would you possibly need yeah. whirling, whirling yeah. blades for hands? What? Possible use could they they be what out is, there? In space? What's the practical application exactly, that he was? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I don't know. Chopping food, opening letters, <laughs> making he's salads. Cuisinard. So yeah, so the our heroes meet up with uh, this ship, and um, it turns out that Doctor Hans Reichard is uh, crazy and uh, wants to, <laughs> wants to uh, voyage into the black hole that the spaceship is sort of hovering nearby. And um, spoiler alert, they all go into the black hole and uh, it turns out that inside the black hole is heaven and hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so technically, are they dead? Well, this, I mean, we, could do, we could do an hour on the ending alone uh, oh, yeah. because, you know, he, Hans, goes into this unholy embrace with Maximilian 
at the end and ends up inside him above on a towel with flames everywhere and all these doomed souls. And then we sort of go through uh, this glass, uh, a stairway to heaven kind of thing, and our heroes come out the other side and end up going towards some what looks like either um, an egg ovulating uh, under a microscope um, or or (laughs) another planet. You know, your, Mm. your mileage may vary. Now... What's interesting, in the novelization, Alan Dean Foster does something, I think uh, he, he goes for the trippy ending. In the comic book version, they come out the other side and they're fine. And they say, hey, we were trained to visit other worlds. Let's go discover one to live on ourselves. So, I mean, they, I, sent, I sent you, Matt, I sent you a, a Hollywood Reporter sort of interview with everyone and the, the director, Gary Nelson, said, we never had an ending to which I thought, no shit, Sherlock. You know, so so you th- it was kind of, that. I think they wanted it to have a kind of 2001 Space Odyssey kind of enigmatic quality to it. But yeah. all it did, I mean, you know, we're all roughly the same age. Obviously, you're the youngest, Matt. But we... <laughs> We, we grew up in an era with public information films warning us about drowning in ponds and getting electrocuted and hit by trains. And, and our movies are saying as well, and if you go into space, you're going to end up inside a robot in hell forever. So it was kind of, you know, our minds were completely warped. So this was kind of par for the course. But we just got to point out that Maximilian Shell and ends up inside Maximilian's shell. <laughs> Good. So Maximilian Schnell, the actor who plays Dr. Hans Reinhard, ends up inside Maximilian Schell. <laughs> Love it. Well, I mean, speaking of robots, uh, the Maximilian robot, the, the, there are some good robots in this. Um, mm. We haven't just got evil robots. We've got, we've got robots in the hero ship as well, or yes. a robot in the hero ship, called Vincent. Yeah. Um, Vincent is an acronym for Vital Information Necessary Centralised. Labour Force 396. <laughs> and, wow. and I was hoping that Maximilian was, was a crazy acronym. <laughs> that they would have <laughs> we could come up with one, I'm sure. I don't, I don't think we could come up with one. That was one of the most disappointing things in the whole of this sort of like rewatch of this film was was finding out that that the acronyms for the robots are so awful and, and laboured <laughs> and made me so cross. Because there's another there's another good robot that that Vincent comes across called Bob, and his acronym is. Um, <laughs> Biosanitation Battalion. I mean, you think... Labour Force 28. Come on. You come up with something better than that, can you? Um, So, yeah, so whilst Maximilian is so evil, I mean, on an evil scale of of 1 to 10, he's like 5,000. Completely relentless. He's psychopathic. Yeah. What did we think of Vincent, who's like the other, other sort of key robot in this film? Well, I hated Vincent. It's like they saw C-3PO and thought, how can we make him even more annoying? Because <laughs> he's the first, first voice we hear is Vincent, and he's, mm. he's quoting Cicero. Rashness is the characteristic of youth, prudence that of mellowed age, and discretion the better part of valour. There's a line later on where he says, I, I don't mean to sound superior, but I hate the company of robots. It's like... Who do you think you are, Vincent? Yeah. You know, it's so irritating, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. And I mean, I know that C3PO is irritating, but C3PO has a sort of charm to him that Vincent is entirely lacking. Yeah, and he's got R2 to put him in his place as well, you know. Yes. Yes, you're right, he does. And Vincent yeah. is, well, I suppose that um, uh, Lieutenant Charlie Pizer, 
um, played by the fabulously monikered Joseph Bottoms. Joseph Bottoms. Is, uh, he's sort of... They're sort of a double act, aren't they? Well, I mean, you, Pizer is kind of the Han Solo character, but for most of the story, he sits in the ship twiddling his thumbs, <laughs> which is a daring choice uh, by the creators there. Um, yeah, yeah, he's... You could have done with more of that. Yeah. I'm, I'm just... I've got... I've got some Vincent, some of the things that Vincent says. Um, and my favourite one is, is, is a conversation he's having with Lieutenant Charles Pizer, Joseph Bottoms. He says, There are three basic types, Mr. Pizer the wills, the won'ts, and the can'ts. The wills accomplish anything, the won'ts oppose everything, and the can'ts won't try anything. And you sort of think, I mean, he seems like he's like a Reagan era sort of Republican, <laughs> isn't he? <laughs> Just telling everyone he's, off. He's a complete calm, is what he is. <laughs> but There's I, a long line of robots like this. Aurak is like this out of Blake 7 as well. Right, yeah. Just irritating. Irritating and opinionated. I should just mention that Vincent is voiced by Roddy McDowell. Uncredited. Uncredited, yeah. And But it's, it is very much... Because Roddy McDowell, he does have a an Anthony Daniels-esque sort of voice, doesn't he? So it, it does sound... I mean, it really does sound like C-3PO, yeah. but with all the charm knocked out. But he's got these big Mickey Mouse eyes. Yeah. And then later on, his head pops off. He has... The, you know, the top is like a cap. And there's a bit uh, where he's having a face-off of Maximilian at the end, and his head pops off, and he gives him this kind of Paddington hard stare <laughs> and then brings out his own little... Drill, which he drills into Maximilian, which it's like I didn't see that coming. So no. he's clearly, you know, a bit of a psychopath as well. He's got yeah. he's, he's tooled up, and yeah. he's got this hard stare, and he's he literally blows his top. So yeah, can't be trusted. He's definitely got a chip on his shoulder, isn't he? A microchip <laughs> on his shoulder. I just <laughs> thought in that bit, oh boy, he's got a room. <laughs> Do you think they just were in love with each other? Just, Min- drill it, just <laughs> drilling each other. It was just. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I thought the design of Vincent again I found really irritating. I really love mm. the design of Maximilian. Mm. I think that, great. that's great. Really early, like that. Early impressions of uh, early drawings of Vincent were beautiful really yeah they were gorgeous they were really inventive they looked great and they could have still used the same wiring and the same hydraulics that they use but uh they just went they went they went for the disney they they star wars has this ability to to cater for both you know grown-ups and kids and whether or not he did it by accident i don't know but nobody really took that on board but when they made the black hole they thought we need merch and we just want some Mm -hmm. and the merch was great for the film I mean, that's the funny thing you're saying about that that Vincent sort of represents like a Disney aesthetic because yeah. the film definitely doesn't have a Disney no. aesthetic, does it? No. And And I think it's... Is it one of the first films that they released under Buena Vista? Is it, was it released under oh, Buena Vista? It's, it's, yeah, it has the Buena Vista title at, at, at front and it was, the, it was the first Disney live-action movie, first Disney movie at all, I think, to get a PG rating as well. Oh, yeah, that's right. So they, went, they went for something that they thought was a bit edgy, which is ironic because the, the, the competition, like Star Wars, was rated U or a G in the States initially, and Star Trek The Motion Picture was a U as well. So, you know, they I don't think they needed that edginess, but, of course, they had that weird messed-up ending as well. Which probably, yeah. And, of course, Anthony Perkins' demise, which um, yes. the most shocking death since Psycho, ironically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it was. So let's just talk about that, because it is quite a famous... <clears throat> well, certainly, certainly for, for you and I, it's a famous scene. 
When, how old were you, Stephen, when you watched this? Rough, roughly, were you a teenager? 21. <laughs> 21. So do you remember seeing the Anthony Perkins death scene? Or did, did oh, it yeah. did, did, but did it have the same effect it had on, on us as we ones? I thought it was quite out of place. It did feel totally out of place, and I thought it was incredibly brutal, considering it's supposedly a kid's film, but it did have that rating. Yeah, but, but yeah. There's, I suppose there's no blood splatter, is there? It's, it's, no, it's, no, there isn't. I thought that last night when I was looking at yeah. it again, there was no blood splatter. But that's, um, again, it's like the shower scene in Psycho. You don't ever see the knife go in. It's like no. the, the ear cutting in Reservoir Dogs, the camera pans away. Yeah. You know, your mind fills in the gaps. Yeah. And the fact that he's, he's defending himself with a book, which apparently was Perkins' idea. Mm. He said, oh. he, you know, because uh, Hans writes, that despite, you know, being this amazing scientist, he writes all his uh, equations and theories down in a big leather-bound book. Uh, and uh, Perkins uses it to defend himself, and then you've got the paper flying up and everything. It's 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 brilliant. It's, yeah, it um... is good. Do you know what the scene that it most reminded me of in in cinema well, I've seen anyway is the chainsaw scene in Scarface, the Al Pacino, right. <laughs> just from having that idea that it's whirring blades are coming ever closer, and then and you don't see it. You, it's, that's another one where you don't actually see the contact mm. of the chainsaw on the on the brain so that was that is a such a wonderfully memorable scene that isn't it now the book is kind of the same color as maximilian which is really kind of strange kind of like this dried blood color yeah well maybe he's maybe it's happened before (laughs) accidents will happen just like the evil dead the evil dead book you know just after that reinhardt bends over and says protect me from maximilian yeah which apparently was an improv which oh, really? is, yeah, uh, Shell Im- improvise it, which is why you should never allow actors to improvise because it's like it was so off topic. It was like that. Watching it again, it completely threw. What's a, hang on? That's a whole. You're opening a whole new story. Yeah. Through. yeah. Where are we yeah. going with that? And of course, it goes absolutely nowhere because it wasn't in the script. No. So it's become. It's a cool line, but it makes no sense whatsoever. Protect me from Maximilian. If there's any justice at all. The black hole be your grave. We've mentioned Star Wars quite a lot. It feels like this is one of the big films that that came out post Star yeah. Wars yeah, that well. was obviously rushed out <clears throat> because of Star Wars, or not maybe not rushed out, but it seems that the 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 project had all but been abandoned, and then Star Wars came out and they said, "Oh right, okay, now let's do this with this," which is when I think because of the original concept was that the 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 Cygnus was going to be populated with loads of people like a city, you know, in space and it was in danger from a black hole and everyone had to be rescued. So they did away with that and went with the Captain Nemo angle instead, you know, the madman in space kind of thing, which allowed them to put more cute robots in it, I guess, mm. you know, because they, they looked at Star Wars and said, cute robots, laser fights, let's let's have some of that. So, um, so yeah, I think it, it gave the project a shot in the arm. Just to sort of kind of like give an, give an idea about how important it was in terms of money-making. I remember listening once to um, William Goldman, the screenwriter, saying that basically Jaws and Star Wars just messed up Hollywood forever because suddenly um, studios were making more money than they thought imaginable. But um, there's something here that I've got which says that when 20th Century Fox released it, 
a Star Wars. It grossed $100 million in three months. Fox's stock soared from $6 to $25 a share. It generated $1.2 million worth of revenues per day for the studio. So they bought Aspen Skiing and Pebble Beach Golf Corporations with the increased <laughs> cash flow and, and still declared an excess profit in 1977. That sounds like you just got to spend. Let's spend some money. <laughs> yeah, I know. So it was obvious that, that yeah, that there was just these, these untold riches that could be made out of um space movies for this time and, and and everyone was was sort of leaping on the bandwagon disney included and and so black hole is sort of the result of that isn't it i suppose and apparently they wanted ilm to do the visual effects but ilm were too busy mm. so they um they did it all in house and actually i think the visual effects hold up pretty bloody well the model making I think so is too astonishing and yeah. uh things like the giant meteorite the fiery ball rolling down you know the ship still looks to those silhouettes rushing across apparently this film had more map paintings done for it than any other movie before so there was 130 map paintings mm. and only 13 were used Wow. And wow. the map paintings are stunning. Yeah. Just describe for anyone who doesn't know what a map painting is, Stephen Murray, with your massive brain, what is a map painting? A map painting is is where you, you create a background that's really beautifully detailed and there's a small hole, and it's painted on glass. It's a small hole in the glass where you can film something through it. And the best example is when Obi-Wan Kenobi switches off the force field around the Death Star and he has to walk around that turret with a gigantic drop so the drop is painted on glass, and the hole in it is where they film Obi Wan switching oh, him. Yeah, but I th- I agree. I thought that the special effects were great. Even the stuff in the spaceship at the beginning, where they're in the Palomino, where they're they're sort of weightless, mm. and they're moving around. I thought that was really good. Yeah, so, so yeah. You, you, the wire work. I mean, Disney's always been fairly good at their wire work. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those things where when if you're writing a science fiction film, you know, set in space, the expensive choice is to go with, you know, low gravity or zero gravity because then you do have to wire everything up, and it means you know, removable walls and wires and all wire removal and all that stuff, or you just have artificial gravity you know where everything is is as is yeah um, or there was a bit you... of that going on there wasn't there obviously. yeah 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 so you got on board the signals yeah instant gravity yeah yeah let's not let's not interrogate the science in this too far because it's <laughs> being picky <laughs> so I, love, good. I love the fact that this genius scientist his whole plan for getting through a black hole is approaching it at a certain angle that's yeah. it Amazing, you know, it? it's like he's surfing or something. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. The Cygnus is named after the first discovered black hole, which was Cygnus X1. One of the characters describes what a black hole is at the beginning of the of the film. And they do talk about it in terms of devastation and destruction. I had a professor who predicted that eventually black holes would devour the entire universe. Why not? When you can see giant suns sucked in and disappear without a trace. And yet, Dr. Reinhardt is able to park his ship very, very close to it, to yeah. something that we're told that not even light can escape its its clutches. Just Neil going deGrasse says it's the worst film in the world for science. Does he? He's sucking the joy out of everything. He, he, he does, does, doesn't he? He sucks the joy out of everything. <laughs> I mean, it's probably worth saying as well that the black hole, according to my information, had a budget of around $20 million. It did. But it's, the, the um, domestic box office uh, in 1979 for it was $35 million. Yeah. And, in, and in some metrics I've seen, that means it was the 19th most successful financial movie of 1979. Now, 
I suppose that so so it's so in a way it, it was not it's not quite the box office disaster that maybe it's painted out to be except I suppose that it, um, like Kramer versus Kramer I think was one of the biggest box office successes of this year on a budget of whatever it was four million dollars and it made like one hundred and twenty million dollars you know what I mean something so that I suppose in in the context of of those other films there were lots of other films as you said you know that came came out this year that were making oodles and oodles of money with not such a massive spend, I suppose. Alien cost $11 million, which Incredible. I can't believe. Incredible. And, and made 184 And yeah. the character of Dr. McRae in this, they wanted to cast Sigourney Weaver, but the casting director said, I'm not casting someone with a strange name like Sigourney Weaver, so she went to make Alien instead. One of the nice things about this film, I think from a robot point of view, is that you've got them all, haven't you? Oh, yeah. You've got cyborgs, mm-hmm. you've got androids, you've got robots. I mean, is there, a, is there AI in it? I don't know, maybe not. Maybe not. But, but certainly there's, we've got um, the, 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 the robots that he's created with the mirrored faces, uh, the sort of data entry robots, turn out to be um, lobotomized <laughs> ex crew members. So what I what suppose... the kids want, Disney. It's what the kids want. <laughs> so they are, I mean, they're cyborgs, aren't they? Well, under the umbrella of 50 Years of Show Robots, yeah. Yeah, sort of cyborg Cyborgy. Yeah, yeah. And what did we think of the of the soldier robots, which are so obviously stormtroopers? <laughs> well, and they, they, they look like soldier ants as well. They have that kind of ant-like face and, oh. uh, yeah, and the cool guns with the, the two ladies, which I remember from the playground was cool for about 10 minutes. Captain Star is a one-off. Yes, he's got an acronym as well. Captain Star is Special Troops slash Arms Regiment. He's set up as a big bad, isn't he, in a hot shot, and then Vincent takes him out and he self-destructs. And it's like, oh, thanks for that. He gets shot in the chest and then dies. Yeah, that was... He was played by Tom McLaughlin, who went on to direct Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lewis. Wow! (laughs) (laughs) What a CV. (laughs) Because that's the other thing, is that Vincent is just a real dick. Isn't he? I mean, I mean, Captain Star obviously is a real dick, but Vincent really sort of like tries to outdick him. And yeah, I suppose, well, it, I suppose he does, doesn't he? Well, he does, yeah. Yeah. Quick mention of Slim Pickens, who is the voice of old Bob, and he's on creditors as well. Yeah, yeah. Because they have to have that wild westy sort of feel in it. The officer that men trusted most was Frank McCree. They turned to him when Doctor Reinhardt ignored the orders to return home. Tried to take control of the Cygnus. Reinhardt called it mutiny and killed Mr. McCree. In the context of the film, I thought Bob was all right. Yeah, quite like. He got shot a lot. He did. He 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 kept kept getting tarnation. (laughs) 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 Saying that all the time. The the shootout that Bob Vincent and Robert Forrester did against the ant robots. That was, I thought, so laboured. And the music didn't help. Well, I love the score, but apparently John Barry didn't see the finished film. And he, <laughs> and rumour has it that he did what they call a spot score, so he did... Because this film has an overture at the beginning as well. I know, it's amazing, yeah. isn't it? Two minutes yeah. of black screen. It was yeah. the last one to do that. <clears throat> yeah, because Superman sort of had that uh, Star Trek motion picture at it. And this 2001 it. A Space Odyssey. Yeah. So, you, you know, the music is great. But it was just they had a, a bunch of tracks that weren't cut or designed to be used in the action. So it's a lovely score, but a lot of it doesn't match match the action. In my notes, 
And I was on the wine while I was watching this. Though, the notes <laughs> get progressively more poorly written. But I've got annoying fanfare over and over. Was that just a, a resurgence of this of the score? So they had this theme, but it wasn't cut to the action. So I thought, oh, I'll just bung that in. So poor old John Barry, who wrote, like I say, wrote an amazing score, but it was just sort of pasted on to the action. Yeah. And it wasn't... Um, so if I, were, I, if I were John Barry, I'd have been rather miffed that they, they sort of went ahead and used the score without including him in the, the process. So Yeah. The title sequence was uh, quite important. It was the longest piece of CGI sequence that ever appeared in a film at the time. Really? Was, was, that, was, was that CGI? It wasn't animated, yeah. it wasn't hand-drawn. Okay. They built a wireframe, digitally photographed it, and then used it in the CGI. And it was also the fastest wireframe animation at the time. That was cool at the time. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Now, one thing we always do, Mark, is we rate our robots. I mean... It's slightly different, this, because this doesn't fall into our into our 50 years of shit robots time yes. frame. So yeah. we are we're out, we are out outside of that. But I think it's probably worth rating them anyway, see what we think. So so f- first of all, um, let's let's rate Vincent. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think? Give us your thoughts about Vincent. Vincent. I mean, bless him. He's he's derivative. He's annoying. Uh, I did like the blowing his top and the Paddington stare and the drill at the end. That's the mm. Vincent I'd like to have seen more of, the, the yeah. psychopathic Vincent, <laughs> which we only got a hint of towards the end. He's a four, maybe. Ooh. Yeah, that's yeah. Okay, Stephen Murray, what do you think about Vincent? Four is generous. Vincent was the thing that spoiled it for me. <laughs> Vincent spoiled Black Hole for you? Yeah. Not the story, not the music. <laughs> you know what? The... I, I really, I really loved the dismal doingness of it. I really yeah. loved the the scenes of funerals and these corridors and, and oh, things God, like yeah, that. Yeah, it's such it, a doubt. Can you just imagine them on the, 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 the sort of Disney meeting going, what, "What are we recording today? Oh, we're doing the robot funeral scenes." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is another another fun, the it? funeral is another wink to Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. Oh, well. brilliant! Oh, yes. What about Maximilian Marvel? Ooh. He's, I mean, he's a nine or a ten. Right? He's such, he's got real charisma. Um, you know, classic example of less is more. It's a great design, even with the salad tossing blades that have mm. no real purpose whatsoever other than chopping up um, Anthony Perkins. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a great design. Yeah. Stephen? Well, he doesn't get his Asimov badge. No, um, he doesn't. <laughs> he does so I, I'm up Asimov. there as well. I think yeah. he's an absolutely brilliant design, superb. I, one uh, of the, I was going to say, one of the things that in in, uh, in in the sort of current run, where we are at the moment, Mark, in our current run of the 50 years, is we're sort of in the mid-50s. And one of the a common complaint that I've certainly got about the robots in, in films is that they... they uh, we're told that they will promise a lot in terms of, the, you know... Um, like we've just watched Devil Girl from Mars from 1954 and, and we're told that the robot in that will, will show us the power of another world and then it turns out it's just a fridge with some horses and horses hooves. <laughs> and I think that Maximilian absolutely delivers on that terror. Do you know what I mean? And I think that for that, for me, he's... I mean, he might be a 10. For that. Yeah. Pretty good. And then, what about what did we think of? What, well, what about the robots that weren't robots? The 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 robots that were the lobotomized crew members. What did you think of those? 
There's a lot of people who think that that's one of the most terrifying scenes when Anthony Perkins takes off the uh, shiny faceplate or and sees the zombie underneath is the most horrifying thing in the film. Just thinking about it with old Maximilian's blades, maybe the the silver things are salad bowls. Silver <laughs> 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 masks. That's like that. Well, we haven't we haven't mentioned because um, there's a point where you see these robots and a kind of big lazy Susan, and they're going what? around and they're having their faces zapped with. Uh, a kind of an animated laser and Dr. Kate is on the big lazy Susan at some point and they have to rescue her. So yeah, there's some, um, there is a whole, there's, there's an insight to something going on there that seventies <laughs> food. It's exactly. just, a, it's a Tupperware party gone very, very badly wrong. <laughs> well, I think that we should probably draw a, a salad bowl mask over this, um, <laughs> over this episode, Mark. Thanks so much for joining us. Honestly, I it was such fun watching the black hole. I thought it was brilliant. It was, I tried yeah. to watch it with my fourteen year old son, um, who thought it was so slow and boring. He left after the first twenty minutes. Well, there talk there is talk of a remake. Uh, Joe Kaczynski, uh, who just did, who just saved cinema with Top Gun Maverick. He was developing uh, a script. Uh, oh wow! It. Uh, but it went. It kind of. It's it's on hold. Uh, apparently, it was a bit too similar to Interstellar, uh, so it, maybe it was very slow and ponderous. But I think there is, um, yeah, there's there's possibility of a remake there. You know, that's a bit more pacey, that has some ideas, maybe as a TV show rather than uh, yeah, you know. So who knows? Has an ending. Has has an ending. Doesn't yeah. include every bit of ad lib dialogue that takes the story <laughs> off into strange new places. Maybe something like that. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much, Mark. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I've had a great time. So that's it from us for another week. Uh, please uh, share this with all your friends and all your loved ones and all your enemies and all your hated ones as well. They might like it as well. Um, we shall see you next time for another episode of 50 Years of Shit Robots when we're going to be going back to 1954 for the film Target Earth. So if you want to watch that before next week, that's your homework and then we can all have a chat about it. Anyway, so have a great week, uh, and until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. Protect.